really just the my love for helping people grow personally and professionally mm-hmm. and why I'm a coach, right? It's really that how can I help people become the best version of themselves and ultimately taking their career to the next level. I love it. I, I think a lot of people forget to ask that when they're choosing coaches, um, you know, whether they interview or just skip straight to a contract for some reason, like, why are you a coach? You know, f- figuring that out, it seems like something that somebody could blanket over easily. But um, what are these secrets that we're going to talk about for sales success? What are some of your top mm-hmm. ingredients for that? Revealing the secrets. So really the biggest secret is how do I find my happiness? How do I find that place where my glass is full? And diving into how I help sales leaders, sales people, and executives get to that place. And there's always this sort of, you know, idea of I need a job where I'm happy. Well, certainly, you know, we can't all just bounce into a role where we're happy, but we're doing, as we're doing our job, we Mm. find happiness in our lives. We find happiness. And once we feel the happiness and we acknowledge that happiness, then we want to do more of it. And so I encourage people to go there. How do I encourage people to go there? What's one of those big takeaways for how to drive happiness? I feel strongly about values. And so digging All right. In. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, what's up? And welcome into Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. And I'm excited to have Megan Dimmer on today. Megan is an executive coach, fantastic at helping sales organizations <clears throat> and making sure to help you as well with your growth and achievements in sales. That's what great leaders do is they build you up and help you with what you need. So we're going to talk about some of the secrets of sales success that she's experienced. And we'll also dive into um, the methodologies. We'll get really clear too about what types of entities that she serves. Before we dive into that, I always like to, of course, uh, give a shout out and recognition to some of my favorite companies. So these right now, these are not paid sponsors. Um, We've had a few, but these are people who I also really appreciate because they provide services to us. Um, And so what better thing can I do for the audience and help you see some of the secrets that go behind the scenes of what we do at Vision Pros and First Class Business. So cold click. Cold Click is run by Art Hoffman, good friend of mine. I, I like to mention too, he's a former D1 football player. One thing I've learned about athletes is that they're super dedicated to their craft and what they do. So beyond the field, they often carry that into their work environments. And they have this discipline about driving towards champions uh, championships that bodes well for those of us who are striving to build championship level organizations. So cold click helps us maintain our LinkedIn automation, make sure that both we optimize the amount of people we can reach as well as uh, abiding by the rules of the algorithms so that our accounts don't get shut down. Of course, any account at any time is at risk of getting shut down for any number of reasons, by the way, Um, it's not just automation that can lead to that. Um, But, what we want to do is make sure we reach as many people as possible who are aligned with what our vision's like so that more of the right people come into place, perhaps with the opportunity to say, wow, I really need to be on a show like this, or I really need the support of a company like this. That's really what the automation factor is about. It's up to you and me 
to design messaging that's attractive, intriguing, and it respects the space of somebody who's perhaps a stranger and doesn't know how to trust us yet. It just makes sense to build it up holistically. But that's a tool we use. Tap Mental is run by Dave Goodall. He's a client of ours and very good at executive level coaching for entrepreneurs specifically and the blue collar space. Um, so if you have a construction company, a general contracting company, anything where you're out in the sun um, a lot or your workers are, and that's the type of environment you have, you have systems that you need to maintain and operate. You probably don't care too much about the technology or really probably don't have a passion for it. Dave does, as well as the finances, as well as more importantly, in my opinion, what's going on in your head and heart that maybe somebody is touches, touchy and feely like me. Maybe you don't want to talk about that with me, but he's a good old boy that can get inside what's going on in here so they can help you translate that into creating systems that make sense for your operations. It's amazing how much the mind trash that we have can hold us back from being able to operate a company that is successful. So um, I've been very impressed with Dave, what he does. Uh, so much so that I put him on the sponsorship and said, hey, you guys should go look at these case studies that he has, uh, put him to the test and see what he can do for you. I hope that helps at least one person out there. If it does, uh, my job's done. The Water Project. The Water Project is a phenomenal opportunity to give back. Um, we are all so blessed. Anybody listening right now, you, you, you're blessed beyond measure. We have. I usually have my water bottle right next to me. I can go to the next room and get water. And it's great water. I don't have to worry about it. We have billions of people in the world who don't have access to that. This is an opportunity to give a dollar to $10,000, $100,000, whatever you have. But what's cool is when you give it to these communities, you get to see the impact on the community itself. You get to see that they actually utilize it to build the sand dam or the borehole well. Could they be more effective? Probably, but so could you. So let's stop judging. Let's start giving and building. If you have a charity or a cause that you would love to see us promote because you know that they would benefit, by all means, send it my way and give me the chance. Just drop it in the comments. We're happy to give to, to more entities, raise awareness for great causes um, at the end of the day. For me, that's what life's all about. So without further ado, um, again, I'm going to bring Megan Dimmer on board. We're going to talk secrets of success in sales. We'll talk about her vision as well as a coach and uh, <clears throat> we'll keep going. So Megan, thank you so much for joining me on Vision Pro's Life. Thanks, Jackson. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So uh, let's quantify for the audience a little bit. I, I did my best, but I think you're going to do an even better job. Um, who should be listening and why do you feel they should be listening to you? I think the key people that should be listening are salespeople, sales leaders, and executives within organizations that have sales um, teams, right? Yeah. So as well as I coach CEOs and founders. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we have to do as founders and CEOs is sales. Um, when we look at the term of sales as a form of service, and that's I've seen you recognize that, that ability to have happiness, the ability to care about others. Um, so I'm glad you I'm glad you include them um, and the reality and, and recognize that. I hope I hope more of them recognize too how much. And let's talk about that a little bit. So CEOs and founders, what are they selling? Like, why, why do they need to know about sales? Oftentimes they're selling their business, they're selling their product or their service. Um, they're selling the business, not only externally, but internally. And so the ability to articulate what they're selling and get it across in a way that's concise, that makes sense. And ultimately that makes customers or clients and employees want to jump on board and stay on board. Absolutely. And so you digital marketers out there who have teams that you need to convince to get things done. 
right? Um, an analogy you may not think about often is how do you sell somebody on the idea of keeping the bathrooms clean? Um, right. But when you're working at a fast food restaurant, um, you know, or an environment where a lot of people use the bathroom, you got to inspire people to, to help out with those things, even if it's the people who are hired to do the job or it's the type of team members who say, well, that's that's not my job. I don't want to do that. Uh, it's an environment where it's very good to have diplomatic skills um, and and uh, know what to do with sales. But let's dive a little bit more into your vision for those you serve, um, perhaps outside of the bathroom. Um, so what, what's your vision for those that you serve? What do you want to see them accomplish? Happiness, really, at the, at the core of it. Jackson, I love human beings. I think I told you this in you know, previous conversations, but I, I am here to serve. And the reason that I do what I do, and I've always done what I do, right, in terms of coaching people and bringing people along is I want them to achieve happiness and to achieve the happiness that I've achieved. And so my vision is for people to become a better version of themselves professionally and personally. And that starts with, do I think I need to be a better version of myself? So how do I become that best version of myself? And then as a result of that, taking their career to the next level. You talk about CEOs and business owners, founders, and you know, well, maybe their career is at the next level. But really, when we go back to clients and customers and employees, are we serving them and answering that question in have I actually taken my career to the level where I'm surrounding myself by people who are happy working with me and working in my organization? Absolutely. Now you've, you've also been a CEO um, at a, at a pretty high level. Um, and that's one of the things I want to talk about. I'd like you to define that role a little bit better though, um, in terms of sure. how long were you there? What, what did you um, gain in terms of experience in that role? Um, and, and what did it, why did it lead you to eventually become a coach? So I'm, you know, currently the CEO of my own smaller company, um, but I was at an organization, um, an architectural firm based in Dallas. Uh, I moved my way up through business development, right? Through the sales organization into strategy and then into the CEO role. And um, my career dream was in my you know leadership development plan was to become a CEO. And so I pivoted from technology. I was in the same technology company, spin off of IBM Lexmark for 15 years. I worked my way up through business development and I saw that uh, kind of the story of how I got there, right? But it I kind of helps to answer the question. So oh, yeah. I saw that I could not um, get to that next level to where I would become a CEO within the tech space right? Two things. Wasn't an engineer and I'm not a man. So two things that really I could see writing on the wall that in that time, in that place, that was what I needed to be to get there. I was crushing it. I was at the top of my game, like a lot of my clients, right? So a lot of my clients, most of them are high performers at the top of their game and trying to figure out how am I going to get to that next level? And I saw I wasn't going to. Um, I saw an opportunity in a different industry, and I said, I got to navigate this thing. And so that's when I pivoted into the architecture firm. And it was 450 employees. Um, it was, you know, around 100 million in, in revenue. And it was a big job. And it was a big job where I was surrounded by a lot of people who were wildly talented, who uh, needed what I had to give, right? And when I say that, needed the love, needed the support, 
mm. needed to know, needed to hear that um, they were important and what they were doing was important and knowing how what they were doing was impacting each other um, from an accountability perspective, right? So I really truly brought it all, brought it all to that role. Absolutely. That, that's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a huge depth um, in terms of experience that comes from being at an organization that large and also running, you know, an organization that large, um, very, very different perspectives and paradigms that are helpful for uh, scale oriented companies. So tell me about your vision for you. Megan, what, what does your vision look like? You can do five years, 50 years, 500 years. Um, don't let me box you in here. What, what do you see for yourself on the horizon? Exactly what I'm doing, Jackson. My vision for me was I wanted to retire at 50. And I'm not quite 50. Pretty close, closer to 50 than 40. But um, I wanted to, in my mind, retirement, I, don't, I didn't really know what it was, right? So what does that look like? And I think we all kind of go into this, you know, long-term goal. What does retirement look like? From my perspective, what I can do for the rest of my time on this planet is help others achieve success. And definitionally, success is what people believe it is themselves. It's not how I define it or how you define it or how whomever else defines it. So yeah. the vision for myself, and you know, we've talked about keeping my glass full Right. So yeah. my glass is full when I'm helping other people accomplish their goals and I'm doing it and I'm going to continue to do it. So that's if that's five years, if that's 10 years. It's something that I think I can carry on forever. So. That's yeah, it. absolutely. I love that. OK. And um, let's dive into a darker area. Um, so we're going to talk about your worst business experience ever. Um, the deeper you dive, I think the more it will help more people in the audience, but at the same time, um, I know it's a lot to ask. So, um, what, what, tell us, though, what, what's your worst business experience ever look like? Well, I've been thinking a lot about the best and the worst, right? Because when you go to this space of like, what makes me happy and what doesn't, mm -hmm. um, there's a theme and, the worst business experience actually has happened more than once. So I don't know if you uh, were expecting that answer, but I, I think that my clients can also learn from me and I bring this into my coaching, right? So I talked about values and it's truly important to me to have an understanding of what our values are and what my values are and to really you know, be intentional about knowing that and reflecting on that. Uh, when I've compromised my values, so when I've entered organizations that don't hold themselves and others accountable, um, when I've entered organizations where transparency is not a thing, two of my really core values, uh, you know, from an accountability and transparency perspective, is when my business experience goes off the rails. And mm -hmm. I have experienced it more than once. And I'll tell you that this recent pivot back into just focusing on coaching is because I want to help other people stay true to their values, not compromise their values and achieve what I know now, right? I need to do in my single shingle business where I can help others. So those are dark experiences. 
and you feel stuck. I have felt stuck. And like, I look around and say, oh, this is not where I want to be. You know, these people don't represent me. This brand is no longer representing me. And those are big things for me, right? Reputation and brand. And so absolutely, that's it. Well, I think a huge part of that too is recognizing that, um, you know, as you're, you're alluding to it, everybody has values, um, right? No, I don't think there's anybody in the world you can say like, you don't have any values and they're going to go, you're right. I don't, um, <laughs> you know, like we, but we have different <laughs> values and we have different levels of caring about those values. You know, some people want more TV time. Um, you know, some people don't want a TV in their home. Um, and that's an extreme difference, but it doesn't make anybody lesser than, but it would make those two individuals lives very hard if they try to work together. Um, you know, if they, one wants TV all the time and one doesn't want it, like that's going to create a disaster of an experience in most cases. So I think that's very helpful to have your values defined. Uh, accountability. I am a pain in every way, shape or form for people who, who don't like accountability. Um, my right-hand man said, Jackson, sometimes when you speak to people, it's kind of like you hit them with a steel bat. And I was like, I know. I was like, oh, I was like, I don't want that to be the case. But like, why? He's like, I get it. So that was years ago. I had just gone through my first divorce and I was learning a lot about relationships and a lot about the reality that some people don't want feedback very much or want good feedback at all times. And that's okay. But we got to recognize where, where we on the spectrum of that and do, you know, what types of people do we gravitate towards? Sometimes we, we overlook that. We need somebody, we need a coach. We need somebody to help us open our eyes to that. You also mentioned transparency, right? Some people would say a privately held company is not transparent, but other people would say, you know, the relevancy of my pro forma is not important to the conversation at hand. Um, right. So there's, they're, they're both great values. If you're listening in, uh, I think it's a very wise concept. Make sure that you define your values and what that level of value looks like to you. So thank you for sharing that, Megan. Before we go into your best experience in business, actually, do you want to double down on anything? I, I love what you said. I kind of took the mic from you. Um, fundamentally, when we compromise those values, we as human beings know that it's either not going to feel good, it's not going to look good, there's going to be something that smells not kind of funky, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes we let the dollars or the people, you know, you've got a relationship internally, we let those things cloud our vision to that important value, those important things. And so what I try to help people do is go back to those values. And if you make a decision personally or professionally outside of that, you know, you're going to compromise it, right? You know that you've said these things are important and it's okay. We all are human beings. We right. are going to stumble, but to look at it and say, was the money more important than the values? Was that thing that whatever the target was more important? And my job as a coach is to help people work through that. So sure, certainly we're gonna make mistakes where we are human, but 
How do we get there? How do we get back to that? And so I think doubling down there is important. And I double down on that consistently as, as a coach. I, again, I can't, I, that's something that I'm going to make a little side note on because while I've made the, I would say I've made a little bit of a self-awareness discovery for our brand for that. Um, over the last couple of months, there's nothing more important to me right now than securing that I keep doing that. Right. And it's, it's been a huge breath of fresh air. So we, our values are love, patience, persistence, reliability, and consistency. Right. So we've got our, our five and, um, we do most of what we do in relation to those principles or values, but we don't do everything that we do in relation to those as we've shifted that realization more, um, to say, you know what, no, we're not making concessions. Um, you know, the, these, these are the cores and yes, some people have weaknesses related to one of those, those five, but that's what we need to hone in on. Not, not say, Hey, you're, you're bad at this, but that there's an opportunity there to make sure yeah. that, well, are, are we aligned? You know, do we really want to grow the same way and, and making space for that? And, and when you're thinking that way, it helps everything. Oh, it helps the whole operation move forward with more fluidity. Um, so we can definitely be better on that. So let's switch gears a little bit though. What's your best experience in business? What does that look like? Yeah, oh, my best experience in business. It looks like a huge hug. <laughs> yeah. Languages, physical touch is up there for you. Got it. <laughs> it looks like a big high five. And during COVID, it was hard for me to not be able to high five. I oh, high five on Zoom all the time, right? right so um, exactly. I was an athlete, mm. kind of still an athlete. That Peloton is still what an sports? Athletic. What sports? Um, year round volleyball. Okay. And I threw the discus, little, little secret. I set the Ooh. high school record as a freshman throwing the discus. Uh-huh. And then I dropped the mic. I was like, no more of this. I got to get back to that volleyball. <laughs> set the record. I'm done. So uh, I am a teamwork person, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my best work experience, I'll tell you what it was. It just came to me. So when I was in that CEO role, right, it wasn't all bad. Certainly, it was a, there was a lot of fun. I had the opportunity to build my executive team. And there were legacy people there that brought a tremendous amount of value and they were on the team. We had some gaps, right, from a financial perspective, brought in a CFO that I was able to hire. I was able to bring in a COO who was actually my sorority sister, right? You know you've arrived when you have been tracking. We were leadership roles together in the sorority. Um, we both went and did our own thing and accomplished a lot in business. We came back together. I brought her in to be my right hand um, at the architecture firm. And I had the most collaborative team of professionals. And it was a lot of high fives and it was a lot of fun. So that, that was my best business experience. That's awesome. That incorporates uh past relationships, um, as well as the opportunity to, to put the A team together. Um, you know, not many people have the opportunity to do that, especially with a multi-million dollar company. Um, so yeah, I can, I can see, um, why, why that feather in the cap stands out as, as special. Um, you're welcome to, to hang on to that thread or you're welcome to move us in another direction as we go into the, the powerful lesson, um, that other visionaries can learn from your experience. So 
what what powerful lesson would you like to share that will help other visionaries um, on their path of building out their own visions? Oh, being a visionary, right? So there's the good, the bad, the sometimes ugly. And because I've coached so many founder CEOs and hired gun CEOs, a lot more founder CEOs, right? Who I've worked with. Um, and I've been, I've been a hired gun and I've been a founder. So I'm going to pull all this together into one little bucket and say, as a visionary, it's our job to come up with the thing, the vision of the company, right? Yeah. And to iterate on that and come up with a lot of, you know, spitball, whatever it is you call it on that vision and to get people on board with that vision. But when you bring people on board to accomplish that vision and they are subject matter experts, you better damn let them do what they're great at. Get the out of the way. <laughs> like all of these games of playing like the contest of who has the biggest whatever in the room. Oh, jeez. Yo, no more time for that. Like. You brought, you brought everybody to the table, right? You selected those people because they're bomb ass at their job, beep. And now let them do their job for, right? Otherwise, the risk. We second guess ourselves as leaders on our team, right? On that team, the visionary put together the leaders and now the leaders are like, am I not good at this? Because I feel like every time I'm asked to bring my idea to the table, it's like, Great idea, but you should probably do it this way. Does not work. No. And all it does is create the opposite of that big hug in the room. So the powerful lesson is you create a team and you have your quarterback and you have your, you know, whatever sport it is that you're down with. Let the people do the job. You just, <clears throat> you just have to fill your house on fire, Megan. You just set it on fire. Thank goodness. You're talking about people who, you know, who want to compare the size. You know, we know the P word, uh, the purses that everybody's carrying around in that room. All right. It doesn't matter what the size of your purse is. What matters is, are we, are we allowing people who are awesome at what they do to do what they're awesome at? Or are we trying to control it or micromanage it? And, you, you know, I'll, I'll hit some of those head on, right? You bring in that awesome chief marketing executive and they're supposed to be the chief. But next thing you know, instead of having them be the marketing director, the chief, you're telling them, I want you to do this. Just shut up. You just screwed it up. I want you to run this. Can't No, get out of the way. Let that chief marketing officer come up with the plan that makes sense. Why the heck did you hire them otherwise? If you just want to control them and make them your little robot. Am I right? Or totally right. Am I wrong? I mean, tell me you haven't sat in that seat, right? Where you're like, and then that's the only seat that exists for chief marketing officers, by the way. There's a great cartoon on that, and it has a desk for the CEO, a desk for the COO, and a revolving door for the CMO. I was like, that's awesome. That's hilarious. Um, now, and, and that's that's a uh, and that's okay. You know, that's it, part of the process. You have to, as a, right. as a CMO, you have to be willing to deal with the heat of that and inspire that office to not behave like that. And if you become the yes man, which most CMOs do, most marketers do, is, and yes, you gotta be sly to be a yes man. You can't just be obvious about it. 
you know, you got to like, oh yeah, you're, you know, you're probably right on that. You know, I can, I can make that concession, but you know, will you look at this too? But if you go along with the game plan, you sacrifice your values and your quality, there's a reason there's a revolving door there. So it's, it's, it's a problem of both sides, but we got to fix it. And the entrepreneur side of that is find somebody that you can actually trust. And if that means you have to stop saying, oh, I, I don't really know enough about this marketing stuff, then figure it out, then learn it. You know, like you don't stop acting like a victim. Go learn it. Sorry, I don't get I'm not coaching anybody so I can I can scream at the mic a little bit. But I just feel bad because if entrepreneurs don't figure that out, you know, they don't start listening to you on that, then, you know, they're they're kind of destined for for failing in that department, at least. Not kind of. Not kind of. Well said. I'm trying to cushion it a little bit, Megan. (laughs) There's no cushion. There's no cushion. Good for you. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, you so you know, hit the, you know, Jackson. That's right. And so, you, you know, the organization size that you had to, I'm curious, um, did the sales department fall within the marketing department? Or were they more in the operations department? Or did you guys not think about it? Like, or did not really care uh, from an org board standpoint? So are you referring to when the I was 750 CEO? employees? Oh, so four, 450, right? And um, we had sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually ended up leading sales and marketing together. Uh And um, although there were leaders in both. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that the reason that from a fractional, and I'm I'm jumping on this because I feel pretty passionate about it. I've got a big one of these about how do you become most successful? I believe that the chief revenue officer role, when you have sales and marketing together under one roof, works the best Hmm. because collaboration is key. And when you have, if you have, for example, a founder who's telling marketing that they want to do this and then sales, they want to do this and it's not all together, then you're running in separate directions and you're not accomplishing the same goal. So right. it's like, how do we row the boat together to get to that revenue goal, to get to those targets, to hit those KPIs? Mm-hmm. So um, they were once separate in that organization, and then they're, you know, became under one sort of department. Team, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So and teams playing together, um, mm-hmm. and and there's lot there's lots of analogies. There's lots of ways to look at it. Uh, the reason why I ask is, in my experience, I've seen uh, that. Well, one, no organization and industry is the same. Right. And so if you have a marketing company or a company that's built more on digital marketing, for instance, your sales department is likely best uh, incubated within your marketing department because they should be learning from your marketing team. You're a damn marketing team. Like that's what you're great at. So the sales department should not be superior to the knowledge of the marketing in that in that situation. But if your if your company is more built around selling operations or the fulfillment of a physical structure like a solar system, for instance, for solar roofing or whatever, then it might make more sense for your sales department to be managed underneath the operations and fulfillment, the COO's role, and have a COO who's strong in sales while the marketing is a smaller division um, that mm-hmm. is still a division and department, but and they still should work together. I love that. Like, absolutely. They should be working together and learn to harmonize for the sake of, of both winning to, to greater capacities. Um, but that's, that's one of the reasons I asked is because I've, I've seen it 
I've seen how flexible that needs to be based on the different types of company. So I was just curious how you guys did it and you, you solved that. They're both, they were almost both, um, uh, not, not apples and bananas, um, you know, or apples and oranges, but two different teams working in harmony on the same plane underneath the direction of, of yourself. Correct. Right. So from my perspective and my experience, the strategy is set right? So you set that strategy and then the planning part comes together with sales and marketing. And so the only way that you can really accomplish whatever that strategy is to make sure that the plan is like you're saying is harmonized. And when you're trying to, you know, what I've found is when you're not doing that, you miss, you miss a lot. You, um, there's opportunity. And, and frankly, in a startup scenario, which that was not, no. But I've been in that in a lot. You don't have time. You don't have time to mess up. Right. Certainly you're going to, but in order for you to, to, to scale, right. And to, to put the things in place to get there, you got to work fast. And yeah. the only way you can work fast is and be efficient is to not be working in separate silos. Right. You got to have great communications um, between yeah. those team members. So, were you the was there in chain of command terms? Um, was there somebody in between you and the the sales and marketing departments, or were you the the direct leader for for both departments? Um, so when I was a CEO, right when I rolled into that space, um, they rolled up to COO, like like we were talking about. Okay, like you were talking about. Yeah, so sales um, and marketing reported directly to COO. Right. Interesting. That's awesome. And that's, um, that's a uh, curious, it makes me curious because again, all those startups that are out there that are trying to pigeonhole themselves into a specific structure, I'm ultimately just trying to expose the fact that at successful companies that are out there, it's not a cookie cutter process, um, you know, and, and if you can get to a hundred million dollars um, without that cookie cutter process, it should make us stop and think, well, wait a second, you know, is this cookie cutter necessary? You know, are there other things that we should be focused on and concerned about? So I think from a, a unveiling sales secret standpoint, I feel like you've unveiled a very massive secret because you're talking about the leadership that exists and the confidence of having that leadership in place so that you can operate, which which gives people a strong foundation to firm foundation to, to to stand on rather than shaky ground where they're like, oh, Shouldn't we be doing this with an organization? Like, shouldn't we we do that? So that's my my next question for you. Um, considering you didn't have a chief marketing officer in that role, um, how do you how do you instill confidence in that team that from an organizational structural standpoint, you guys knew what you're doing, um, so that they focused on selling and marketing, doing the, the jobs at hand. So without a chief marketing officer, so I understand your question, how did, did I build the confidence or um, create an environment where people thought we knew what was going on? Yeah, where they, where the they felt that. Exactly, exactly. Um, because the people that I brought into the organization came from big places with big jobs that had been in marketing that had been in, you know, sales leadership and that sort of thing. Um, that was what instilled the confidence. When I say big companies, right, it was Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. And so when you've had um, the roles, 
in those sized organizations and you, you know, for example, when you bring in somebody who has a marketing degree, right? So it just so happened that there, my COO background was business and marketing. And so that really can't be challenged, right? When there's been success and proven success, it is, it is what it is. And so mm -hmm. I didn't need to have a chief marketing officer to prove to the business that we knew what we were doing, right? It was the success and experience and proven track record that said, all right, they know what's going on. I'm so happy that you exposed that. Um, it's a it's a hard and painful truth for those of us who don't have a degree. But it's also an important reality uh, that you, you can't. And that's why I don't work with corporate. It's the exact reason. It's changing now that I've got gray hair coming in. Um, and I've got four kids and the experience of life. But as a young um, chief level officer, um, I could go into those environments. And within a matter of weeks, the team would have shredded me um by planting seeds of doubt with the mm -hmm. with the owners of well what does he know you know he's only 22 you know or, or 24 what he doesn't even have a degree um you know and and they would utilize that to counter anything i tried to do and so i, I share that because anybody who uh you know is still at the phase the young phase anybody's listening in and thinking about the value of a degree there is a massive value and i think it's bull crap by the way, um, okay, but, sure, but sure. at the same time, it's from a, because people can piss away their education and, and get that piece of paper on their wall and not mean a dang thing. However, on the flip side, the harmonic side of it, if they did use their time responsibly and they have that, when you're growing a company that has to make quick public impressions, like for the organization of a hundred people, you need a mic drop. You, you need something to stand by. It wasn't until working with video power, um, you know, and saying, hey, we're the YouTube ad experts of the world. We took on campaigns of less than or nobody could work with us that had less than $10,000 per month on YouTube ads. Right. We did some of the top YouTube ad campaigns of the decade. One of ours won the uh, number one YouTube ad of the decade with Kobe Bryant, Lino Messi. You know, it's like, oh, OK, now I get it. Right. right. And that's a lot longer than just saying, oh, I went to Stanford um, and here's my marketing degree. I mean, I'm with you, Jackson. I don't have an MBA. Like I didn't go to grad school. I went to Michigan State, Sparty on, right? I'm a state school girl who worked hard like you, right? Brought the grit mm -hmm. and figured it out. And so I, I, I've had a lot of that in my career. Like, wait, you don't have an MBA? And I'm like, right. But I had to earn that. I unfortunately had to prove to whomever, a lot yep. of whomevers, that <laughs> right. I can crush it. Or you had to prove that, yes. I am a woman, which you shouldn't have to, um, you know, but you've mentioned having to face that um, and knowing how to go about that, overcome that reality. That's just something that I can't relate to. Um, right. right. So it's very important to know our strengths, know our, our weaknesses, but also know our perceived strengths and how those inhibit us and our perceived weaknesses. And uh, from the market standpoint, what they what they think about us. Um, knowing how to communicate through that is important. So let's dive a little bit deeper into some of those secrets of success that maybe maybe the audience was anticipating, um, you know, maybe, you know, that you also would love to talk about. We've got a couple minutes left. Okay. So what are what are some of the sell secrets that um, we can we can blow people's socks off with right now? What do you got? Well, um, the number one secret, by the way, in selling 
is listening and knowing your customer. Yeah. If you don't know your audience, you might as well not show up. And I have coached salespeople and sales teams in lots of different industries, right? Where I sat in-house or I was an outsourced consultant. And not knowing your ideal customer profile is a bad place to be. And so A, understanding like my ideal customer profile is this. Dem demographically, they look like this. So that's who I should be targeting. That's my target audience. And then taking it a step further and saying, what do I know about this organization that I can prove that whatever I'm selling is going to solve a problem? And if I don't know that, I have to ask the questions and I have to listen and I have to be able to bring it back to that. Otherwise, it is game over. And really, truly, it is crazy to me that there are salespeople out there that don't listen, right? And you can tell they're not listening. And oh, by the way, the customer and the prospect knows you're not listening. And you walk in and you don't know anything about that company. You don't know anything about their business and you don't know anything about how what you sell can solve their problem. You're not a salesperson. <laughs> You're not a salesperson. If you didn't oh, yeah. turn up your mic, a little, turn up your volume a little bit if you didn't hear that. Mm. You're not it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to hear it, though. It's another to understand it. And that's one of the key differences in this listening skills that Megan's talking about. Three levels. We can react to what you're taught. And like an animal, you know, we can respond to what we're told. Or we can take a step back and listen further. Megan, what do you mean by that? Right? Megan, how do I apply that to my current situation? Right? Ask, asking questions is a good indicator. If you don't ask a lot of questions, it's actually a pretty good indicator that you don't listen or know how to listen. Well said, Megan. I love that. Um, we are we are out of time um, for our show. I would love to just continue for another hour. I really would. Um, Me too. Continue to, to gain insight into more self-success secrets. And if you want that, then of course, you can reach out to Megan. Um, you can find her on LinkedIn. Um, right, you're on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. I'll make sure that's how we connect today. Oh, think. yeah. Uh, there's other, other be on LinkedIn. By the way, another real quick. Yeah, hit it. If you are not connected with a lot of people on LinkedIn and you are not out there and you don't have a presence, it's going to be hard for you to resonate as a true sales leader. So work on it. Well said. Uh, authority, credibility. It is another portion of that paper on the wall, so to speak. And if you have the opportunity to have the asset, then don't make this excuse. Make it happen. You know, get get the asset. Um, so, Megan, thanks for dropping all the value that you did. It's obvious to see that you're you're ready to give. Um, as much as possible. So anybody who's listening in, feel free to drop in the comments any questions that you have for Megan. We'll be happy to distribute those back to her. Um, and if you want to be on the show, if you want to share your vision, don't hesitate to apply as well. Um, we're looking for great visionary entrepreneurs um, and visionary leaders to come in and do just that. But Megan, this was an absolute privilege. I hope to have you back on the show where we can dive in even deeper now that we've laid such a great foundation and uh, hope you have a fantastic day. Anything else you need from us before we go? I I'd love to come back and I highly recommend engaging with Jackson. You've made me think critically and deeply about what I do. And so I'll come back anytime. 
the feeling is mutual on that, Megan. Vision Pros, you guys have a great day. In fact, we have another episode coming up in a few minutes. We will see you all soon. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving